All right, hello. Uh, welcome to Empathic Futures Lab, the show about designing human-focused futures for the environments that we live in. Uh, today, in this uh, warmer than yesterday <laughs> uh, Sunday, uh, we're here at uh, Chris's apartment, uh, both of us actually, and we're going to record uh, the second part in our series in which we're looking at this, uh, is it a co-design? Fast, yeah. Fast, fast, fast design. Company. Fast company. Fast company article uh, called Nine Big Design Trends That Will Shape 2018. Uh, so we looked at the first four um, last week, I guess, maybe a week and a half ago, and we're going to look at the remaining five uh, this time around. Uh, once again, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And I guess, uh, I guess we should get started here. Yeah. So the first one that we're looking at is We'll Finally Move Beyond Flat Design. Um, so this was uh, this was actually kind of interesting for me. I thought uh, I suppose they're all kind of interesting. That's a really generic thing to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, this one was really neat. Um, but the idea that flat design they, they sort of go through the idea that flat design uh, follows this trend of um, hyper minimalist modern. Uh, design culture in which you're just removing all the ornamentation um, and that somehow makes it less human relatably focused familiar I guess uh, and the article kind of points to the idea that um, skeuomorphism I think is what it's was what they is what they specifically called I didn't even looked that up I don't even know what that means if you have any idea. I, I imagine it just means it means that it's sort of it's digital things that are kind of uh, look not, physical I guess not flat yeah um, just not completely flattened into a single vector graphic. Right. Um, let me see. Where's my notes on this one? So I just thought I just thought it was interesting. Is there? It, it sort of it gives the idea that there's a necessity uh, for digital to have a physical representation and for it not to be its own thing. That's something separate. That for some reason it should feel physical to us. And I don't know if I. We, we went through this with our little competition entry, which we may talk about at some point, but I don't know if that's totally necessary or not. Uh, um, yeah. Go ahead. Wait. Well, okay, I, I guess to just touch on that, I, I think maybe the idea was not so much whether making something that's completely 2D, that's flat, uh, that's completely digital, um, at least in the, in the screen, the smartphone screen, the computer screen sense, whether I don't know if the idea is whether that it has to be three D or has to be completely flat. I think it's more looking at what makes humans comfortable. How how do we comfortably interact with them, and how do we, how does it make sense from a standpoint of um, how does it make sense in the standpoint of following what's going on if you're not used to the interface, right? Like there's all these things with parents uh, who or uh, grandparents who haven't worked on computers their whole lives like we have. How right. do they know? Um, where information went right like for me i can kind of intuitively see that if you click one button you minimized one screen and something else came to the front right, right. but if you're not growing up with that without some of these more 3d things um right like you read that that google uh, materials article from fast company that they link to talking about how do you shuffle around pieces of paper right if you get that animation that says that one piece of paper flipped around to the back, you mm -hmm. kind of intuitively know that it's still there, it's just in the back, versus if it just right. appeared, you're right. So I don't think it's 3D versus 2D as much as it's like, we stripped out everything we don't need, how do we put stuff back that lets people understand what's going on? 
Okay, so maybe maybe this is a slight rebuttal. Apple started with this, right? I think there was one article. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was in this article that we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. or the, uh, the other one that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But Apple started with this uh, idea that their digital images and icons or things are grounded in some sort of physical presence that, in, in, like you're saying, is more relatable. And then everyone moved away from that, right? basically, which is what this is saying. But now some of that's starting to come back. To me, I don't know... I, I, I wonder if I feel like this is more of a patch. It's just, like, it's just something to tide us over until the end in which you know digital is its own thing and physical is its own thing. Um, and this isn't necessarily my personal opinion. I just wonder if, if it's completely necessary at all. Um, let me see. Like, our, once we get to the point where everyone who is interacting with digital interfaces grew up with them, uh, and understands them. Do you even need this idea of a physic of a physicality? Do they even mm-hmm. need this uh, sort of physicality to them, mm-hmm. where you have drop shadows on everything still, or yeah, you know, mean, whatever else? Maybe it's not so much about the drop shadows as much as it's about relatable actions, right? I I think that's really what it comes down to is how how do you relate to things? When we were at the Milwaukee Art Museum yesterday, I, I think. One of the points we brought up with like some of this impressionist art and and realist art is like it's relatable. You kind of see what's going on, even though it's this two D image. You know right. what's happening, right? So is that the same thing uh, with these interfaces? Right. You want to feel comfortable using them, right? And I had the same thought yesterday. Uh-huh. I, I mean, just now reading, reading, rereading this article, and after walking through that really good exhibit actually at the art museum, is that. It got to impressionist, and then once it went cubist, it was just like, right, it what's was going on? You you lost the relatability, but at the same time, is it more of a true expression of what it really is? Uh huh. Well, I think, I think that's that's the trick, right? Is maybe it started off, especially in the '80s, where you had this this. Uh, what does saving look like? What do the folder systems look like? What does this garbage can look like where you're throwing things in the trash, right? right? At that point, right, you have to go towards this real, very, very literal symbolism to kind of help people guide them along. But right. at this point, you don't really need that as much. So they've become an icon within themselves, right? Isn't that, that's sort of what was brought up is that the save icon, you know what that is, the the, the, the trash can icon, the folder icon, you kind of know what right, those are. Right, it's a digital action at this point. Right, it's a digital action, but there's still these kind of universal symbols for that. And we've stripped those down to the point where there's minimals they're going to get. But, you know, as we've kind of run into architecture, even with modernism and minimalism, like you strip something down to the extent that you get rid of everything necessary and then where, but... It's, it's just purely functional at that point. So then can you add things back to it for comfort reasons, for uh, interaction reasons that make things maybe are slightly unnecessary, but make it slightly more comfort? It's like a quality of life adjustment. Well, yeah, it's, it's a relatability for people. Um, but I guess I question whether or not that relatability has to come through this physicality that they're giving the digital thing mm-hmm. if it can be achieved another way yeah i don't know i think i think that's i guess the only counter argument right. well, i guess it's not really physicality it. as much as it's well it's it's taking these digital things and making them appear somewhat physical because it's more relatable to us yeah in a yeah. 3d world right 
Um, well, I guess, then, I mean, we live in a 3D world. Right. Mean, it, 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 to a certain extent, we have to relate to things in the 3D physical sense. Because right. that's just how we're embedded in this world. Um, so even when you see this paper expanding, right, like on that, I mean, there are those GIFs on on that Google materiality article where it's like papers expanding or contracting uh, in width and height, right? That's right. never going to happen, but because of how it's designed, you kind of intuitively know what's happening, even though it's not really real. Right. Even and it's purely digital. You know, I, I don't, I think I, I think I agree as I like it better Yeah. when it, when it, and I think one of the best examples that I can think of is flipping through like an, a portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. On Adobe Acrobat versus flipping through it on Issue. Mm-hmm. It's much nicer to flip through it. And when Issue works, at least. Right, you kind of get the page flip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think maybe that's something that's too literal, right? It's like too Probably. literal a book. And I, for that reason, I don't really like Issue because I don't like reading things in a book, which they're digital, they're not a book. But yeah, maybe there's that, maybe that's that thing that's being gone after right now is what's that happy medium in between right. where it's not one image just disappearing into another but it's also not a literal translation of a book right right and in this competition that we did i guess we can i'll talk about this really briefly um the idea was that it's for the fairy tales competition for the fa- the yeah for the architecture of fairy tales competition our, de- our idea was that you know if if the future exists where you have this automated system for your house does that also warrant a physical presence for that automated system? Mm-hmm. Does, um, does that automated system have the ability to manipulate the physical environment of your house through sort of this ambiguous right. material that right. flows around and does things? So maybe that's kind of where we'd have to touch back on this this idea, this materials design thing. Is like, yeah, we kind of designed it as these really circular dots or spheres that go around right. the house, but... Maybe that's where we have to look back and say what sort of actions make sense, make people comfortable, while also being, you know, true to what it is. Right? Yeah. So what? Yeah, maybe that. Maybe that's where we have to start. It, it could be a beyond a purely digital thing, like an architectural thing, right? In the future, as we, uh, I, we've kind of already done that aesthetically, at least moving from high modernism to postmodernism, and now we're sort of moving back a little bit towards Hyper modernism. Modern, I don't even know what... Yeah. Right, but we're, we're kind of taking elements back and forth. It's a purely aesthetic conversation, it seems like, a lot of times, but uh, we're doing it. So maybe we just have to keep doing that across all all mediums. All right. Do you want to move on to the next yeah, one? Yeah, what's our next one? If you want to... Yeah, we'll eat our feelings is oh, the yeah. next one. This one's funny. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so basically it's just talking about how um, there's a push towards... Or people are comfortable, it seems like, eating things or like want to be go back towards this idea of eating because it's sort of comforting. It feels wholesome, especially if it's this transparent, healthy thing that you're eating. Um, I don't know what else you want to bring up with that. I thought one example that was pretty good, though, was or two examples that were pretty good that they brought up were a looking at sort of this Zen monk thing where you're eating healthy stuff. And on the other hand, it's like pharmaceutical companies getting into edibles instead of pills because maybe eating your medicine is a little more, I don't know, comfortable or, or you know, it's, it's less weird than swallowing a pill. That's, that's the question I had, actually. So the point I wanted to bring up with this, and maybe it's a counterpoint again, is it just like poking holes in things, I guess, or trying to, Yeah. Um, was to eat your feelings. So typically, when I, 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 I want to speak for most people here. 
Eating is a pleasurable thing to do. We yeah. Can, we consider eating to be a pleasure. I mean, some people don't like eating and then sure. they go and eat Soylent or right. whatever. But yeah, for the most but, part, I so think. So generally, let's it. say, let's just say that eating is a pleasurable thing to do. What happens when you start applying eating to things that are not pleasurable, like taking medicine or... Well, I think you just make it pleasurable through eating, right? Because who likes drinking a syrup? Who likes swallowing pills? That's not really pleasurable. Maybe that's not really natural. So that's the point of making but, it edible. But right? inherently, it's not a pleasurable activity. If you're sick, you know, is 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 it? Are you trying to make sickness pleasurable? And just that just does, does right. that just not make any right. sense? I don't I know. Guess? I mean, okay, so. I, I I think you know they brought up marijuana in there, right? And, right. And, I've never eaten straight marijuana. I imagine it tastes kind of weird. Um, nor do I, I, I smoke, but I have had a THC soda, and it tasted like orange soda, right? It, it was it was in Colorado where they sell such things, right? And like I imagine you can have cough syrup that way, right? Where it kind of tastes like a soda. Maybe you design it in such a way that it activates in your body similarly to a syrup, but it right. actually tastes like a soda, actually tastes like a brownie. Uh, like those fiber one bars, right? Who likes eating that orange metal mucil stuff? But in a fiber one bar, it tastes delicious. You can eat a whole box. It's not necessarily pleasurable afterwards if you eat a whole box, but <laughs> you can do it easily. And it's fun at that point in time to eat a whole box of fiber one bars. But is it right to associate things that we would consider negative and unpleasurable with the idea of a pleasurable eating activity, I guess? I, I think... On one hand, sure, maybe that's kind of fake. But on the other hand, there's maybe it's easier to get people to take required medicine. That's that probably way, true. Right? You yeah. want people to take life-saving medicine, so why not do that? Um, I think the other part of this point was going back to sort of this transparency in food and the sort of naturalness of food. Um, that's that's completely different from what we're... That's the opposite of what we're talking about. It is the opposite, but I think that's that, that was the two sides of the same coin, right? It's one, it's like this completely manufactured medicine thing, but I think I read it also as this sort of Zen Buddhist side, this sort of vegan movement, right. this um, vegetarian movement, this uh, plant-based protein movement of transparency, of healthiness, of, like, um, of things like that, right? Uh, I think that's worth discussing as well. So, okay... Is that, would you consider, I'm not a vegetarian or vegan or anything, mm -hmm. um, so I can't really speak for that, but would you consider, eating healthy, now let's, let's start there, let's just say that that is more, eating more healthy, right? Mm -hmm. um, something, that's not something that you necessarily do for the pleasure of eating food. I mean, some people actually feel better, right? Right, right, right. But, but, but that's that's a little bit different. You feel better because you know you're eating better, okay? So there's probably a little that... bit of a placebo effect there, but it also, you also feel better because you probably are better. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily true, though, because there is good vegetarian food, right? Right, like, and, and that's, that's not what fantastic. I... That's fantastic. That's not really what I... I'm not here to bash on okay. vegetarians, but I... From my standpoint... There's sort of an instant pleasure to eating really bad fast food, and you yeah. know, even if you feel terrible later, the instant pleasure pleasure I guess you get from mm -hmm. eating that mm -hmm. is different from like the long term. Um, you know, you're eating good. You do actually feel better. Like your body works better probably mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you're not eating that way. 
Um, so I, I don't think. Okay. I yeah. don't think that one way is necessarily better than the other. Well, okay. But... I guess my question is, um, and, I, and I kind of equate this trend to some of the other trends that um, you know we've kind of been discussing in this episode. I, I think there's kind of this overall theme across these these uh, these points, and that. You think about back through this industrial era of food in the you know the twentieth century and, and until now, and sort of this this refinement of ingredients, going to white bread, going to uh, white rice or whatever, you know, refining out Which all is this just stuff, canning foods for instant taste. right, and and to a certain extent. It's like, oh, we can do this. This is super cool, right? Like white bread used to be like the coolest thing ever, or at least that's what I've heard from older people than myself. Um, so it, it, to a certain extent, that kind of follows this minimalist trend, this modernist trend, this industrial sort of let's just make stuff because we can, and it kind of quote unquote tastes better. Um, but to a certain extent, then have we lost the ability to make this natural food taste good right because you go to some of these european countries like in ireland while i was there and their meat and potatoes was amazing it's just meat and potatoes but like it's well, fresh ingredients well it let's tastes say really good let's say it doesn't it's necessarily out like i know in the case of like sodas for instance we've been kind of trained to um expect really sugary crap right. in everything right. right um which we know is addictive right and it tastes really good right and you know instantly right, right. and so you know, these things I don't think that it necessarily tastes better the I don't think these necessarily taste better, I guess, but we're more trained for something that just tastes hyper good. Right. I we're guess. trained to like sweetness, we're trained to like fatty food. Right. In the past it was harder to get that maybe, or evolutionarily. I don't know if that I think I read that somewhere. That that's what we like. Um Yeah, I I think that you hit on a point there that we're kind of trained to like this, um, but I think we're also, you know, some of the things that this mentioned was like what knowing the science behind some of these ancient wisdoms of eating, right? Right. So like, are we at the point now where we've learned so much about food, we've been able to refine it to the nth degree, and now we're like, well, this isn't healthy, this isn't what we want to be doing. How do we bring this back, right? How do we how do we take this well, food how do you science? Roll back yeah, the how do we how do we roll it back? How do we take this kind of food science stuff and apply it to old things so we know what's going on, um, and either go back to purely natural eating or better yet, how do we apply Just hybrid? Of, yeah, hybrid. How do you apply some of this ancient natural knowledge? How do you mix it with scientific knowledge, and then how do you make it mainstream? Right. Uh, I think that's true of you know. I think it's a overall trend right it goes back to this move beyond flat design thing right we yeah. stripped it down now we're adding back human comfort human right. health um right. postmodernism taught us anything i guess yeah uh yeah i think some of this other stuff is going to be kind of come out the same way some of these other trends um okay all right next one is one big uber map one big uber map yeah is a- that what it's called yeah ai will turn the world into a big uber map right and so i was i was thinking about this one too uh, from a people perspective, I guess, okay. or from my seemingly yeah. luddite perspective that I portray on these <laughs> on these podcasts. For some reason, I'm just really <laughs> critical of everything. No, I think that's um, good. Need but that. need that. So let's say, like, you have this Uber map, and it, you know, you have this map that just sort of tells you everything. Right. Well, can you? I don't know. Can you summarize what is what is okay. this talking about? Okay. So, um, basically, the the whole idea is that. Um, human perception or human senses is 
augmented by this AI-driven sensor-networked world, right? So in a similar sense that the Uber app is revolutionary because it tells us where our car is. It gives us the sight lines to see right. five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten blocks out from where we are and know where the car is and then know exactly where it's going to pick us up, which direction it's going to come in, right? It's like, do we do the same thing through everything like, else? Right, like, can we see one example that they provided was, don't go to Trader Joe's right now, the cashier lines are really right. long. Um, or, or uh, and then take that and apply it to yourself too. What do sensors look, what does it look like that you can track everything that you're doing in your life, count calories, talk, track right. steps, uh, beats per minute of your heart rate. And then the last thing of that is, how do we represent that? How do we make this information accessible to a human and and digestible by humans so that, you know, it's not just some AI telling us data. It's like, how do we process this? How do we do something useful with this? Right. And so one thing that I was thinking about with this is, let's say we go this route, right? And basically, an idea that we introduced uh, in our competition entry, the story at least, was that this AI physical digital system for your home is able to uh, optimize your life, basically. So it reduces friction that you have on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. It optimizes your schedule. Um, it lets you know more, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what happens when all that friction is reduced? Are people less capable... Are, peop I said that are people less capable of dealing with stress mm -hmm. and daily adversities yeah. to the point where if you run into something, inevitably, where something goes wrong, is it even more worse than what it would have been otherwise yeah. had you been actually able to deal with these daily stresses? So if you know more, if you're able to see more, is it like Superman and you're just overwhelmed with the amount of information that you have? Yeah. And you um, well, I think that goes get to, to the point that you just can't deal right. with it? And I think that goes to the point of... Uh, uh, our our ways of visualizing information, our ways of showing people information, filtering, filtering information, all yeah. of the above, it's it just going to have to get that much better. Yeah, uh, because this 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 technology is so new, right? Right. The fact that we can have sensors everywhere that we can track people, like how new is this? It feels old to a certain extent, but like GPS is what fifteen years ago were not everywhere like they are now yeah or it's in your freaking phone right it, it like gps navigation in your car is now you know you don't have directions anymore uh sensors are small enough that like and easy enough to make that you and i can kind of just figure it out right and put it around our apartment um i don't know it's such an infant kind of design that we're gonna have to figure this out right and i think the way yeah and to the last point of the article the way in which people get that information and how much they're inundated with is probably the most important thing. Yeah. Because otherwise, um, we'll run into a situation that is described in Future Shock, I think, where people just have so much information they don't know what to do with it and inevitably it just becomes more stressful than it would have been otherwise because you can't you can't yeah, deal you with can't process the minor it. changes you in your life. Can't adjust it. Yeah. Right. Someone would have to curate that for you yeah. and, and or you set up preferences and say which ones are most important to you or uh, maybe the computer figures out relationships and then gives you right the key information to you that kind of affects your daily routine more than others I don't know uh, what that is but perhaps for some people it's like the traffic in the morning is a big driver of their day right so that's something that they pay attention to versus someone like me who walks to work 
or takes the bus to work, doesn't matter. Right. Uh, there would be other information that would be more pertinent to me, like temperature outside or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, all that to say, it's still really interesting that it's a fascinating idea that um, we can extend our senses through our devices. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I think um, I really like this idea that everything will turn into a map, even beyond more so than the sensor thing, even just because it kind of visualizes the physical environment in a, in a real time way. Yeah. Right. And, and can you start to say like, I know what temperature it is in my apartment. I know what light level it is in my apartment and kind of use that as a reference point, you know, the same Other way that, places. right. The same way that we know how far a mile is, but have no idea how far a kilometer is. Right. We have, or degrees Fahrenheit versus degrees Celsius. We've kind of developed these reference points over the years that tell us exactly what, is going on or at least we have a good sense of what is right. going on like can we develop the same thing in our home and workplaces you know where we have constant access to this information and eventually we'll develop a reference point that says oh this is what this space kind of feels like it's transferable it's transferable yeah, yeah so maybe it's transferable to another space you say okay that's what that face space feels like right now maybe i want to go there maybe i want to be at this bar versus this bar yeah. we kind of have this reference help you point. understand the relationship right between between the experiences. Right. So I think that'd be really fascinating. I think the other thing um, that I'm really interested in with this one is, so I, I invested in Ethereum about a month ago. Um, is it Ethereum? Ethereum, however you pronounce know. it. I have no idea. Um, you know, part of it was to make money on that, but part of it was to, because I actually kind of believe in this technology of smart contracts, smart money. Um, but where I'm going with this is I saw this thing on Foam online and they're trying to like uh, validate location data or geography data uh, through like I guess the Ethereum blockchain and maybe making micro payments to people for validating this stuff. I don't know, um, but I think if we start to do that, is there a higher possibility of making the real world more accurate? You know, an open source and like telling exactly how things are going. Right? I think that there's an interesting opportunity there. Well, I know one of the big things around concerning the collection of data is the validity of it. Right. Um, How you validate data. Right. And and is that just multiple people, multiple people going there and doing it? And if you get a small like microtransaction for doing it, like you make 10 cents or 25 cents per time you validate data, like you're actually being helpful, you're getting paid for it. And if everyone's doing it, is it self-validating? Is it more trustworthy? Right. It's and, you, and then you gamify it. Right. And you gamify it, yeah. In case of Pokemon Go. Right. right. And I think, like, right, OpenStreetMaps is great, but the problem with OpenStreetMaps is it's not updated, right? Who, you know, you have to be kind of a giant nerd or a giant geek or just really enjoy updating OpenStreetMaps. Right. Because no one's going to just go out and do it. Or right. not many so people. Giving an incentive to do it. Giving an incentive to do it. Giving an incentive to say, I'm actually at this space. I know what's there. You know, I, I think. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. So, does can that validation come through like a Foursquare check-in or like Twitter, yeah, or so, Facebook, or whatever? So, so it's like digitally, we think this place is this, mm -hmm. and so if enough people go there and check in and do a certain thing right. at this exact, you know, coordinate place, right. you know, having and you know, restaurants change hands over and over and over again very quickly, and being able to update data even faster, I guess, right. And I think, you know, essentially how it's built is, you know, the blockchain, right? You have this constant, like, dispersed 
validica- validification, validation yeah. of, uh, of uh, transactions, right? So if this is built on that, at least as far as I understand, it'll be like this decentralized app where everyone has access to it and they're constantly updating it. Um, I don't know. It's but not, does it, it's does not it released do it yet. passively? I don't know. I don't know. I've only oh. kind of read two articles on it and it yeah. hasn't been released yet. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, um, I think if it's passive, it'll passive in the terms of the user, like being able or having to update it. I think that would be a lot more functional. Right, right. All right. What's our next one? Fight back. Fight or is back. The value one. I think fight back. We can do value at the end. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of chained together. Okay. Um, you yeah, kind of even touched on the, the your initial thing about this last point. Kind of touched on the. The value or the fight back. back. Oh, I don't remember what I said before. Anyway, you wanna. <laughs> uh, so fight back. The it talks about how. It, the point is, designers will wake up and fight back. Yeah. That's, uh, oh, word yeah, for yeah, word, yeah. what they say. So that's. I mean, that's that's really what it talks about. Is just um, technology has sort of gone a certain direction in which maybe there's biases built into it. Right. Um, it... And. Maybe we're, you know, now we're becoming aware of those biases and what do we do about it? How do we change it for the better? Yep. Uh, for a better social good or whatever. Yep. Um, to me, this is something that's always happened, right? And maybe it's happening faster now. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Than oh, we've it's, seen it's before. For sure fa- faster um, now. Just because it's digital. Right. And the, the rate it of change. It allows it to happen faster. But, you know, I mean, you take the case of modern let's let's just bash modernism again <laughs> you take the case of modernism and just all glass buildings the idea the idea is people want to be able to connect to the spaces around them the the environments around them the, out, the outside or whatever so let's say that's the, let's let's go with that as the base idea so you build a bunch of buildings that are all glass you um subvert i guess the uh the architectural envelope into something where it's barely a medium separating mm-hmm. you from the outside. Uh-huh. The irony of it is that it's all glass, and um, we learn that it's still it's really difficult to uh, make those spaces comfortable for human activity, uh-huh. especially in the, a lot of the areas we, uh, we live uh, in, uh, like Chicago and uh, so forth. And it's expensive. It's bad for the environment. Right, and and so our in our desire to connect to the environment, we have actually you know, made it worse. Right. <laughs> um, which was sort of, we did this thing that we thought was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turned out it, it had results that weren't actually favorable. And, you know, it's no different from what we're seeing today. Like, we've designed these things that we think are good. Social networks that allow yeah. people to connect and interact in novel ways, allow people to connect from across the globe, allow those to interact with each other that, you know, they haven't talked to in 20 years or so. Right. But... There's also things built into the networks um, that encourage mal-activity, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and so we're finally we're realizing that now. And I don't know I don't know how that's any different. It's just faster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think the larger point was you can't uh, the expectation, or at least they 
they think the expectation that you just do stuff because it's you think at least in a vacuum it will be beneficial in this very particular context it will be beneficial to your company to the network you're building to the product that you're building uh looking at it from that single-minded state is no longer acceptable or at least shouldn't be acceptable so how do you it's expected that designers right you have to look at it from multiple perspectives as a systems a systems element as opposed to just a singular product um, yeah, it's probably no different. I mean, we kind of did that in architecture already, yeah. with modernism to postmodernism. But at the same time, how much did we really learn? Because we're still treating buildings well, that's, as products, that's the thing. right? As standalone products, right? So are we are we still doing it wrong in architecture and everything else? Where um, we we just keep going through the same cycle, except we're at a higher, you know, hertz yeah. this time around. Yeah. Should we? Should we? At what, at what point are we going to actually wake up and right. pre-evaluate ourselves? Right. And, and, and I think that's where they were saying, like, is it are are uh, designers going to be more political and, and and sort of socially, socially, uh, what do you call it? Responsible. Socially responsible. I mean, to a certain extent, designers always have been. That modernist movement, a lot of it, you know, like those. What do you call it? Those this the projects in St. Louis that were demolished. Uh, it wasn't Cabrini Green. That was... Was it Cabrini? No, no that was, was Chicago. Chicago. Um, it was whatever that Japanese guy who did uh, the World Trade Center stuff. Yeah, anyway, um, yeah, that was socially driven. A lot of Corbus stuff was socially driven. Um, but now, now do we have greater access to or greater ability to look at things in a systematic way across disciplines? Uh, and, prior and with to it, doing it. Prior to doing it, sort of analyze this, model this, uh, look into the effects, potential effects of this. I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, that's sort of the thing that this, in my mind, like what this was talking about was just purely responsive again. Yeah. But should we be more proactive? That's that's the actual question. Like, should we be trying to figure these things out before we do them instead of just responding? Right. And I think that's kind of where it is. It's like fight back as in don't just listen to superiors actually say hey this could be detrimental to society even if it helps our our bottom line even if it makes what we want to do better it could actually hurt society from a socio-cultural political standpoint uh maybe that's just what we have to do just look at it and just say hey or maybe that's what they're suggesting we do and, and I guess to a certain extent what we're suggesting we do right and that leads into the last point which is about value yeah, um, yeah. ultimately what are we doing this, who are we doing this for you know right you know what bottom line are we trying to fulfill here right are we because yeah you're making something better but are you also making other things worse right who's who's negatively affected by what we're doing yep and how many people I mean that I don't know where they who's not benefiting from yeah I remember reading an article that talked about this a lot. Yeah. I don't have no idea what it was, though. Or they might, I think that's a Freakonomics thing that might have gone over this. I don't know. Something like that. Uh, yeah. I, what... The, the, the last point is evolution and what value means, right? And I think we are for sure seeing that in terms of, right, it goes back to this food thing to a certain extent of transparency. It goes back to the sort of fair trades movement, transparency in our right. generation. It's um, like all I, these things are... Are they becoming more human or not? Right. Are you? Can you trust who you're goal? buying from? Can you trust who, what you're eating? Can you trust what you're doing? Right. Um, it's very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not necessarily conscious, but it's very. 
uh, crap. I Conscientious? Can't. Uh, maybe I'll remember. But it's just concerned, I guess, with, with the state of things. And um, I can't get to the word. That's okay. Um, but yeah, it, it, like all of these things that we discussed even last week, I guess, or just yeah, the the value judgment is is this benefiting, is this you know making our technology more human, and or, I guess I guess the question the question with that is, is that what we want? Um, well, I think yes. I think it, it comes in on scales too, right? Like, could you make something more human but also kind of screw up the system as a whole? I think yeah. Um, I think part of it is is it everything is kind of coming down to trust right and, or at least that's the keyword that i said four times as we were bringing up this point i don't know yeah. if, is that kind of where we're going is how do we trust what we're doing how do we trust who we're buying from um, but if it's all based on trust you know there's that that whole bowling alone thing breakdown of social institutions i never completely agreed with that because i think there are a lot of social institutions or maybe they're just different from they are before um, but is it is it sort of about as a millennial culture to use that sort of buzzword? Um, is it about trying to figure out what all that means in our day and age? Is it about more global than it was before, where it was just maybe more of a local regional thing of like trusting your neighbors? Now it's like trusting these global national corporations, and making sure everything fits together at a huge scale. Right. And how does that manifest itself? Because I think. I think trust in this, in some cases, is probably synonymous with this really, you know, popular like trend about around authenticity. Oh yeah, that's and a good word. Realness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you see all of these, um, uh, like new hip restaurants and everything popping yep. up that are so focused around authentic, authenticity, craft, yep. you right, know, right, craft right. everything, craft everything, um, yeah. Not craft, but food. is that any? I guess is that any different than what we've we've had before? They're just throwing the label on it. I don't know. I think okay. So that brings up a good point. So I was just talking to my sister about this. She's she's in branded environments, um, at, at kind of a digital marketing branding strategy firm in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were just talking about this because we bought our dad a wallet for Christmas. It's this really great leather wallet. It cost hundred bucks, but that's fine. Um, just it's it. real leather. No, it was real leather. Cause authentic. It was, it was authentic. It, what she did was she literally found this guy online. It's called Ashland Leather or something like that and went to uh, his location in Chicago. It's kind of this uh, northern area that's still a little bit industrial. Um, I don't think it's as far north as like... Well, yeah, I don't know where exactly it was. Um, but somewhere in the north side of Chicago. Um, and she literally went to his workshop. They don't have a store. They have a leather workshop. You set up an appointment and you right. go buy something from them, right? Right. So it's a human experience. Well, it's a human experience, idea. but it's also incredibly authentic because we were thinking, we're like, we could buy something from Nordstrom. We could buy something from Banana Republic. We could buy something from uh, J. Crew or any of these other places that sell clothes, that sell goods. But that's sort of this really sort of generic thing that even though it's higher end goods, potentially... It's something that everyone can just do, right? But if we get something from Ashland Leather, it's this really authentic place-based experience where you go and actually buy something. Okay. Um, And I think that brings up this authenticity thing because you think about the restaurants that are having trouble right now. It's um, Applebee's, Buffalo Wild Wings, TGI Fridays, places that like millennials 
supposedly, if you read the online articles, are sort of abandoning. And it's true to a certain extent. I haven't been to any of these places in a long time. Right. Maybe Buffalo Wild Wings um, I've been to because I like Still to go there and yeah, eat <laughs> wings, drink beer, watch sports, whatever. That's, I um, think that's their thing. Yeah. But like... <laughs> I, I could also go to a small place. I, in Milwaukee, I haven't been to one. I, when I get wings, right. I get to a, a Milwaukee place. Um, so is it, is it so kinda, what sets it apart? But what? What sets these well, authentic, okay, so quote-unquote, I think, authentic places apart from the others? I think So what I'm getting at, I think, is to a certain extent, the way I shop anyway, is I go to like places like Target or H&M where it's very cheap, right? And I can get clothes that look good on a budget. Or I go somewhere really cool that's not, you know, unless it's an outlet mall where I can get cheap Express or cheap J. Crew or something like that, I'll try and get something that's a little more, uh, quote unquote, authentic or a smaller brand or something that's like not this global thing. Right. Or same thing with food, not a global food place, right? But you, you only do that for things that you really value. Yeah. Right. But um, at the same So, like in the case of a TV, for instance, you know, you don't care. No, but what? I'll do a lot of research to figure out a brand, right? Or, or uh, my headphones. I got something exactly. from Mastrop, right? I didn't, I didn't go and get something just cheap, um, or like keyboards. I'll make them myself. But I think it, it seems to be this sort of or record players, right? There's record players now and MP3s. It's like, is there is there two parts of the spectrum now where it's just this cheap stuff that you can just get, or is it the more high end, expensive stuff that you you experience and get, right? It's it's a it's a it's a one hand is global cheap other hand is local connected experience to, connected, connected to a physical experience connected in some to way. a physical experience Usually. connected to a place or a history or something that is like a relatable experience a relatable, yeah. some, versus something where it's just manufactured and the person's hand isn't connected to it in some way right right i think i think we go back to this food thing right you go back to the the music industry right it's right. kind of like there's so much ease of access now like why bother with this kind of media place like a j crew like a banana republic like, like an a, applebee's like an applebee's where it's like generic food at a higher price or generic goods at a higher price you know, why not why not just go to mcdonald's why not go to mcdonald's or go to somewhere that's local H&M. Or yeah, or H and M, or go somewhere that's local, and you can get right. this really cool experience and get your food. Right. What's the point of the middleman? Is that kind what's of what's the point at? of mediocrity? <laughs> right. What's the point of mediocrity? What's the point of globalism? That's also high. What's the point of high end globalism? To a certain extent, or huh. middle, middle and middle ground middle, globalism, like above average global brands. So what's the point of the middle class? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that got. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, but I think that's where we're at. The middle class, you get the authentic experience. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's a good thought, though. I think. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's something to this authenticity thing. I think so. I think a lot of places have the fake. They fake this idea of authenticity because it's a trend, though. I mean, that you're gonna have that with any trend. The trend yeah, but, is going to be like places that are like, okay, this is what people want now, so let's do but it. But what is fake authenticity, right? Because like, even if a local Milwaukee brand fakes authenticity, there's still a local Milwaukee brand that I'm not going to have in, say, California, right? Or I'm not going to have... Well, that, that's, not, that's not necessarily, I don't think, what are I'm you talking, talking about. about like, it's Apple like, being... well, you can fake the physical environment, which, yeah. you know... 
But people kind of read through that, right? That's why Applebee's is not doing so hot, even though they're trying to be the community family restaurant, right? right? That's why they're not doing so hot. That's why I haven't been to Red Robin in a while. That's why I haven't been to TGI Friday in a while. It's like, why go there? Uh, Why not go somewhere that's better or similar quality or better food that's also local and I can't get elsewhere? Right. Right? Like when I'm in Naperville visiting my parents, I go to Naperville places. I you know, try to go downtown more than yeah. That I used brings to. up a thought because Airbnb is doing these doing this thing now. So they're not just I guess the the place you rent a cheap room for anymore. Yeah. But they they're starting this thing. I think it's like Airbnb experiences right. or whatever. Right. It's where you can experience these things um, that are less touristy. Yeah. Um, in like LA or wherever wherever you're going. Uh, that are supposedly authentic experiences for the city, but are they? If everyone, if everyone does it, is it not authentic? I don't think so. Well, I mean, if if everyone, if all the tourists still do it, and the people that live there or whatever still don't do it, is it? Is it any more authentic? I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe authentic is a changing definition too. Yeah. Evolving. That's probably true for every place. Yeah, it's probably true for every. Yeah. Because, like, you, you, these Yelp, all these, like, really big Yelp restaurants mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. um, supposedly they're great places to go to, but are they just perpetuating themselves and really aren't all that great? Are they just perpetuating their online persona more than they are yeah. actual content? Well, I think that's, of, that's where, that's where, uh, that's where it's like, what's authentic? Maybe yeah. if you're a local, you stop going there and you go somewhere else, and that becomes the authentic right. experience, right? I, and so, but it could is it still always be... lagging? I guess maybe. Yeah, oh. yeah. Or or authentic is like one step ahead. As soon as something becomes not hipster, it's I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, whatever. All right, that's probably. Yeah. Are we okay? So should we announce what we're going to be doing next? Or we have a couple things to we announce. Have a couple maybe. ideas. I don't, I don't know. Let's let's. Yeah. Why not? Okay. So one thing, I'll, I'll start with the, the book one, you can talk about the other one. Okay. All right, so one thing that we're really excited about is uh, our next uh, couple, maybe six, several, our next several episodes will um, coincide with a chapter uh, of the book called The Inevitable, the 12 something, that 12 technologies that'll shape the future, yep. or it's 11, yep. I don't know. 12 but anyway, um, so... We're going to start with a series of those. We'll talk about a chapter each week and our thoughts on that, I guess, yep. and and um, yep. how that how these ideas might manifest themselves. Right. And I think uh, we'll also maybe to break this up a little bit so we don't talk about the inevitable all six weeks, but right. six of eight weeks or something. We'll try and bring on uh, some guests as well. I have a few in mind, so we'll reach out to them, see when the best time for that is, and. Uh, hopefully provide some more interesting content that way yeah because um, i think that'll sort of break up the monotony of what we talk about yeah which has been a lot of it's been very technology high level technology yeah it's been a lot of technology stuff and maybe we'll break that down yeah. um okay uh cool thanks for listening everyone uh, we'll see you next time on empathic futures lab uh, take care